Welcome to the Inside the Post-Dispatch podcast. I'm Todd Robertson, editorial page editor of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Missouri will soon become the focus of national attention as the presidential primary vote approaches on March 10th. Already, we on the editorial board are being contacted by the campaigns. On Wednesday, my colleague Kevin McDermott and I sat down for a half-hour interview by phone with Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is seeking the Democratic presidential nomination. This episode is an edited version of that interview. If you like this kind of engaged journalism and are interested in supporting the work we do every day, we encourage you to go online and subscribe. Go to stltoday.com slash subscribe. Thank you very much for doing this. I I know this is really tough, especially after a a grueling night last night. Oh, I I had fun. (laughs) I was just trying to avoid getting punched by Tom Steyer in the middle there. And I kind of thought if his arms flailed and hit me, he would have deep pockets if I had any suit or anything. It literally... Well, let me. I I actually wanted to start off by asking you about the debate format itself. I'm I'm just curious, you know, as as a participant, I uh, you know, we as as the audience, uh, uh, admittedly skeptics in the audience, um, what we see uh, is seems really chaotic. I'm I'm just curious from your standpoint. Are you satisfied with this debate format, and and can you think Um, of any ways to make it work better? Um, I think that I'm very concerned for our party um, when so much of the time is spent fighting each other. Primary debates are about differences in issues, and uh, you are presenting so that the people of the country that are interested in voting for a Democrat, by the way, including independents and moderate Republicans, can choose a candidate. And I think that uh, what I said, I meant that if we spend the next four months tearing each other apart, uh, then we're going to get to spend the next four years watching Donald Trump continue to tear the country apart. Uh, So that's why I chose in this debate, um, to some positive response, but not a lot of sound bites. I chose, from the moment I go in there, I wanted to make the case of the difference between Bernie and me. Um, and make the case why Bernie shouldn't be leading our ticket as much as I like him. We're friends. We came in together. We've done things together, like a bunch of stuff on pharmaceuticals and the like. Um, but I just think that he's a socialist. He is plans cost you know, about $60 trillion, uh, which I pointed out if you look at a 10-year period, it's triple the U.S. economy. Um, and that the Medicare for All idea uh, would not work. And I just keep imagining Trump prosecuting Bernie or Elizabeth, for that matter, uh, on the stage. And it's not going to be a pretty sight, and we're going to lose a lot of people. So that was my focus, is to make those points in a pointed way, because you keep trying to find ways to counter the bumper sticker mentality uh, here of some of his proposals. So I tried a few different things. Uh, so that was the first thing. And the second was to make a case on things like rural health care, when they asked me that, or um, which is a big deal in Missouri, or um, about things like um, uh, the, the housing issue, which, of course, is an issue in St. Louis, affordable housing. 
um, and doing it. And then when I was asked about coronavirus, I literally, for I did not put my website like every politician. I gave the CDC.gov, and I guess there was a major spike in visits to CDC.gov <laughs> for people to be, because I think this coronavirus is coming at us like a train here, man. And people have to be ready and they so they don't overreact or underreact or whatever there is. So that's why I did that, because I think instead of just playing like a president, maybe someone should act like one. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was the debate for me, but it is a lot of the insidious part of it is these fights back and forth. Those, a lot of that is gaming to raise money. Yeah. Because then those, those little things that go back and forth, then they use that, you know, with the base, but also they use it the next morning. It keeps playing. That's the way you get the play the next day, is if you say outrageous things. Yeah. And so much of our base is trying to figure out, oh, how do we win? So they're watching CNN and MSNBC uh, to try to figure that out. And so those are the exchange uh, that mostly get on. I'm not saying you want to be boring. In fact, that was one of my points, that I'm not boring. Um, um, but that, and you have to have interesting things. I thought my four-month thing was interesting. I thought the, you know, coronavirus was interesting. So you have to have plans to not just be a total wet blanket stand up there. But just be aware that a lot of this stuff is kind of faux attempts to raise money. Okay. All right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Senator, uh, you, you you have made the case that Bernie uh, Sanders should not be the the nominee because you fear he, he would likely lose to Trump, and a lot of people have that view. The Star Tribune today had a pretty extensive uh, analysis of various people who hold that view who are saying that, that you, as, as the, the one of the three moderates who's, who's doing the least well so far and, and seems to have the least prospect going forward, that you should be coalescing with one of the other two moderates just in order to prevent yourself from becoming a spoiler who helps Sanders win. One of the people saying this is, is uh, Jennifer Rubin, who's at the Washington Post, who's been yeah. a fan of yours, but just the other yeah. day wrote a column that basically said it's time, and that, uh, you know, at this yeah, point, well, you, you could, there's no realistic um, if path. We had a, a, if we had a clear front runner, um, I suppose those discussions could be had, but that's not where we are right now, and in fact, I have the third biggest vote total, and I'm not, you should check it out third biggest vote total of anyone running right now. Do you mean delegate total? Or? No, yeah, I yeah. mean votes. And yeah. votes matter because we've had all these crazy caucuses where they haven't been able to vote things, account things. And I will add in Nevada, those numbers do not account for where people were when they walked in. Mm -hmm. Because the, unlike Iowa, they just did the numbers at the end. And we know based on, I'm not going to question the whole thing. I'm not saying it's corrupt. I'm just saying that these caucuses do not get the actual attendance of votes, nor do the outcomes always reflect um, where people were when they walked in. Um, so I believe when you look at the actual numbers of how many people voted, even though New Hampshire is a small state, I have the third biggest vote total of well, people that walked into those things. And that means Bernie first, then Pete, then me. Um, and so these people that are calling on Pete and me and maybe Elizabeth um, in a different way, right, uh, to step out, I mean, I find it pretty absurd uh, because 
the people in the Super Tuesday states should have a chance to vote. That's nearly a third of America to see where people really are. Um, instead of just basing it on these four early states, two of which were caucuses. Yeah, but the Senator and I'm a fan of early states in that it allows people with not as much money to get around and meet people. But caucuses is a whole other thing. And then you go to Missouri, which clearly will play a role on March 10th um, because it's coming right up. So uh, it, it really does bother me because I don't think that we have a clear uh, front runner right now. When you look at my vote totals, you look at um, Pete and the delegates, you look at Biden, yes, uh, you know, ahead in some of these states. I'm ahead in Minnesota, fairly the only one ahead of Bernie in Minnesota, and rising in some of these other states. And we've just had huge rallies in Oklahoma City and Little Rock and Fargo, you know, over a thousand people. And we actually are looking at the schedule to come to uh, Missouri. A lot okay. of this analysis, though, is not based on the votes that have been cast. It's based on, on, on national polling and based on looking forward to the states coming up. And the polls don't, I mean, what is your path to victory here? Where, where do you think you're path strong enough, other than Minnesota, where do you think you're strong enough to... Sure. My path to victory is that we continue to uh, do well in these debates. I'm going to do, I can, now that I am more well-known, when I do these televised town halls, I've got one on CNN tonight. I've got one on Fox, a televised talk, Fox town hall with Brett Baer and from Martha McCallum hour long tomorrow night uh, out of North Carolina, um, my second one I've done. Uh, and I just continue to get out there and, and you see what happens. Things change quickly as we saw in New Hampshire. And my argument is what my argument is. And that is that I am still the strongest one um, to be able to take him on because of the fact that I constantly bring in those moderate Republican and independent votes, that I'm the one that's been able to cross the aisle to get things done, um, um, passing over 100 bills, including a number uh, with uh, one of your Republican senators, Roy Blunt. Um, and I um, have that track record, and I think that matters. So uh, I'm going to switch, switch subjects here. Um, Nancy Pelosi was was in our office uh, uh, a few months ago, and and I I pressed her on this. I was not happy with her answer. None of us were quite satisfied with it. Um, St. Louis has a a ridiculously bad problem with urban gun violence, and uh, we are experiencing uh, yet another uh, surge in in children getting shot. Um, it uh, when when she came, we had just finished another surge where I what I think twelve kids wound up getting shot uh, right before she she came, and uh, and and it, it is a crisis situation. Um, the 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 gun control ideas we hear at the national level don't answer what urban America is facing right now. I'm just curious, as president, do you, would you see? anything that can be done at the national level to address what we're experiencing here. Exactly. And are you here talking about gun, uh, gun violence in homes as well as gang violence? Uh, well, yeah, they they're, they're all come together. It's gangs, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. It's everything, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Well, I know a little bit about this because I was a prosecutor for eight years. Um, and finally, I get to bring this up in a positive way. <laughs> so I think that, uh, number one, um, that when it comes to that kind of violence, there's a whole array of things you have to do. One is making sure you're prosecuting the laws for felons and possessions of guns, um, regardless of if it's gang crime or not, um, by making sure that um, you actually are doing all you can to break up these gangs. Um, when I was there, we had a gang prosecution unit. Um, and when I had my job, and we spent a lot of time on these types of things and made the, um, the felon in possession of a gun statue, which had just gotten up to, I think, five years when I was there and worked hand-in-hand -hand with the U.S. Attorney's Office because they can even get stronger penalties so we could leverage that when we needed to. And, of course, I was a big proponent of drug court, like I said last night. But when we had a gun involved in a crime, we, I, for the, my predecessor actually had those drug cases in that drug court, and I'm like, no way. Uh, so we put those gun cases in a different place and took them very seriously. Uh, secondly, uh, straw purchases and um, how some of these guns are getting sold to gangs um, is sometimes talked about. I know I've heard a lot about it because of Chicago, of course, just like St. Louis being this huge increase in in street homicides, and um, and the people are able to buy guns in huge quantities through straw men. And I am not by any means telling you that this is going to solve it immediately, but it should be part of the solutions when we get to gun crime, that it is as tragic as the massacres are in the schools and the theaters and the churches, that um, this is even more numbers. I think I used to use the statistic all the time, and I, I couldn't validate right now if it's true, but something like 30 kids a week, a uh, classroom of kids uh, being killed every single week. Um, so this whole approach to uh, gun violence is different, as you know, than talking about bump stocks or talking about um, uh, some of the other things that the bill I have to, well, get to that minute, close the boyfriend loophole and a few other things. So that is pure making sure you are coordinating between federal and state police authorities, that the sentencing work, that you've got straw, straw purchases, you're going after that. Um, gun buybacks uh, might work some uh, for that because you'll have a lot of funds that are sitting around and I'm for voluntary gun buybacks. But I would have to see how the, I, I'm in favor of those, but how much effect they have on street crime, um, I don't know. But that's another thing to look at. Just making me off the top of my head. Um, the other thing is that sometimes kids are killed as well in the home um, by bringing guns to school, those kinds of things. I actually led the bill. I noticed Pete mentioned, someone mentioned gun safety in schools. I actually led that bill for the funding for a billion dollars. Um, which was it? Uh, yeah, billion dollars uh, with Orrin Hatch uh, right after Parkland. Um, and then the other thing is um, in the homes and domestic violence where kids can be unwitting um, victims. And that was my bill to, that I brought up last night and had a weird skirmish with the vice president um, on closing the boyfriend loophole, which is my bill. Yeah. Uh, because right now people are convicted of domestic abuse can still go out and get a gun. Right. And, and not every state, but in a number of states. 
Um, and I think that also would help with violence in the home. Is there anything more specific? No, that's good. Uh, uh, just uh, since we're running out of time here, uh, I, I wanted to turn to Afghanistan. Um, you know, I've, I've watched uh, uh, Vice President Biden's answers on Afghanistan, and, and, and they are they're inconsistent and, and not terribly satisfying. Just curious, how do you negotiate a withdrawal from Afghanistan and yet still protect the rights of women there? Uh-huh. So, so much of this has to go with the negotiations um, with the Taliban, of course, and the Ghani government and the U.S. playing a critical role in those negotiations. And I have always made it clear that we should bring these troops home, but unlike what Trump has done, which is, you know, announced by Twitter he was inviting the Taliban to Camp David when there was no agreement, and then therefore undermining the attempts made to have an agreement, um, I think you need to have an agreement first. The status right now is that there is a ceasefire, although there were some problems with it just yesterday uh, with some shootings. And the status right now is a ceasefire between the U.S. and the Taliban, not involving the Ghani government. Um, and then if that lasts for a week, they were going to sign a more permanent ceasefire. Um, and then ultimately the goal, of course, would be to get the Ghani government as part of that as well. Okay. The key thing is that any gains that we have made on democracy, and of course I've visited there in the past, as well as women's rights, have to be preserved in whatever kind of settlement is reached. The other piece of this is relying on our allies, India, where the president is right now, um, and Pakistan uh, can play major roles in trying to enforce uh, that whatever peace agreement more easily than we can. I'm in favor of allowing troops to stay uh, for training in counterterrorism. I haven't picked an exact date to bring the troops home because of what you just talked about, of trying to get this negotiation um, to be as firm as we can be in terms of what they've committed to with keeping those democracy reforms in place. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we've run out of time. Just one last question. Who's the president of Guatemala? <laughs> Just kidding. Just uh, kidding. I don't expect you to know. Very, very funny. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, well, listen. Um, Giamante. <laughs> wow. Hernandez, Hernandez is Honduras. <laughs> And the full name of the president of Mexico is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Very good. That's part of mouthful. Anyway, I could go through all of them. I memorized the whole G20 if you want to go through that. <laughs> wow. That's why I know that Fernand for Argentina, because they're one of them, too. Anyway, yes. um, so I, um, yes, and so just to circle back, if you have any other questions, but to circle back on the you know, the running and everything. I mean, I have received these endorsements, as you know, several major newspapers, including Houston Chronicle and New York Times and San Francisco. And I think they all know this is not an easy path. Uh, but I think the argument here is, you know, we aspire, uh, I aspire to the best. And that's the kind of candidate that we want leading our country. Um, and I just think to just at this moment in time to just say, well, this person is a little bit ahead, 
can't be the way we look at this. Um, and I am someone that wants to defeat Donald Trump and doesn't want Bernie Sanders as president. I'm going to do whatever the right thing is to get to that point. I just don't think that point is now. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, I, I take it you've got to go. I mean, I, well, I've got other questions, but if you... If you, you want one? I can do one other question. Okay, well, I'm, I, I, okay so... so Let's just imagine you make it through this primary process and you are face-to-face -face with Donald Trump on, on stage in a debate and in a campaign. What, what is the best strategy at that point to confront his policies, his demeanor, everything about Donald Trump, and yet still pull over uh, uh, moderate centrist Republicans who can't stand the guy and could be lured by a moderate Democrat? Well, I think that's your very moment to do that with uh, economic agenda, optimistic economic agenda for the country, um, pointing out some of these. One, you have the shared prosperity issue, the fact that he hasn't done anything on prescription drugs or infrastructure of any means or uh, done anything when it comes to costs for people in their everyday lives. But the second one, when you talk about some of these moderate Republicans, it's really focusing on the underpinnings of our economy and um, his lack of a long-term strategy. No action on climate change, taking us backwards. A lot of business people are very concerned about that, of course, and the long-term effect of that. No action when it comes to immigration reform in states like ours where we know we need workers in our fields, in our factories, uh, people working in our nursing homes. That's a long-term issue with our economy if we don't figure out some kind of path to citizenship with documented workers. Um, and, in fact, he's making it harder and harder for that to happen, including with the temporary status people. I look at this as an economic imperative. Um, the third thing is the debt, uh, the fact that uh, he's treating us like poker chips in one of his bankrupt casinos, especially a lot of our farmers in Missouri and Minnesota and the like, and um, the fact that people just throw money at him to make agreements and that we're seeing not only a record trade deficit, but also a record deficit, a record debt um, under his administration. And I'm one of the only ones on the state that continually talks about it and has a plan to at least repay some of the deficit on my website. Um, so those are three things that I think are really important to moderate Republicans, as well as our standing with the rest of the world, working with our allies uh, and the like. And then um, the last thing that I know you have written on, which I've really appreciated, is election security. Um, and um, that one is just a symptom of an overall problem with Trump where he's not listening uh, to his intelligence advisors or the generals that he commands. Um, and just so you know, there's still, I lead the bill for the backup paper ballots with James Lankford. Uh, Roy Blunt was actually going to give us a hearing on that because uh, he and I work together pretty well. And we are supposed to have a hearing, and then Mitch McConnell stopped that hearing in its tracks, um, as did the White House. They literally made calls that, that was a year and a half ago when it would have made a difference to tie federal funding to backup paper ballots, and they stopped us, got punched up. And now we have. Uh, nearly a dozen states uh, that still don't have backup paper ballots, including the entire state of New Jersey. And I can tell you right now that uh, Russia and other countries know exactly what those states are. And then finally, just for the good of our country, I always say this election is a patriotism check, which I would say on the debate stage with Donald Trump, but it's also a decency check. I remember growing up when my parents would 
uh, have me watch the president on TV, even if they didn't vote for that president or didn't agree with that president because they felt that was our civic duty. Now kids come into a room and parents have to mute the volume if the president is on TV at a rally because they're afraid of what he's going to say. Uh, that's just not how our democracy should work. And so bringing this sense of decency and civility back to our politics uh, is one of my major goals and one of the reasons I'm running for president because I think everything else follows. If you can't treat your citizens with respect and have empathy and put yourself in their shoes, how are you going to be a strong leader for the world? Well, okay. thank you very much. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you, Senator. Oh, thank you. All right, thank Take you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, see you.